Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Dan Osman who is a coach of 18 years, a public speaker, writer and podcaster. I've recently been on his podcast and really enjoyed it and I knew that we could have a really insightful discussion for the Female Fitness Podcast. So Dan how are you? I'm really well, thank you. That was part of the deal, you see. You came on mine like I had to come on yours. That's That was the deal. Obviously. Obviously. And <laughs> so for those of you, for those listening who might have either heard of you but not know that much about you or haven't heard of you before, how did you actually get into the fitness industry in the first place and why? I didn't come from, I guess I didn't come from a, a typical kind of engaged in physical activity or really health conscious background at all. I largely went through a lot of my teenage years as in a much larger body, I come from a Mediterranean background. We like to eat is a very sociable part of our makeup, I guess. Ex- expected uh, and received a little bit of ridicule through secondary school, came to go to a doctor one day about something totally unrelated stuck me on the scales and said you're fat you need to lose weight so I was very body conscious I guess as a teenager and that started probably from the latter part of primary school receiving a few comments body became a bit of a focal point for me going into secondary school without a lot of self-esteem probably questions around my self-worth there's obviously an enormous fascination amongst other people about my body shape and that made it a focal point for me as well so that was back when you did mixed kind of swimming classes and you recognize that you look distinctly different to everyone else and that becoming an issue and why maybe when you had an interest in my case a girl a girl would be, not be interested in any shape or form so I look back at that and it's interesting because hindsight is a wonderful thing you kind of set up for a little bit of preoccupation around the body from yeah fairly benign and I guess what most kids go through so Towards the latter part of my teens, I just recognised that things needed to distinctly change. I, the group I was in wasn't really conducive to sort of life that I wanted to lead. I did want to lead, lead a healthier existence. I was very conscious of my body shape. And I guess the, the preemptive urge for a lot of people is if I change my body shape, it's going to change the way I should feel about myself. So I ostracised myself from a lot of my social circles. This was before I went to university, but I knew I had to go and do something I was interested in that became performance at that time I got involved in Brazilian jiu-jitsu a little bit of Muay Thai and when I went to university I wanted to study sport sport science sport marketing coaching that kind of thing as well and that's what essentially what I went on to do and when I got there a bit of pocket money because like most students I was absolutely skin I got my level two fitness qualification which was essentially wiping sweat off machines for people introduced them to gym just it really evolved out of that went on to a bit of PT became interested in performance a bit more ended up working as part of our talented athlete scholarship scheme and the SNC department at the university did loads of voluntary work with um, the English Institute of Sport finished uni was going to stay there for a master's and then an opportunity with Saracens Rugby Club came up as a strength and conditioning intern which is essentially a glorified water boy but it just it went from Working with the, the less adherent, I guess, everyday folk, my own finding my own personal interest in changing the shape of my body initially, like most people do, when they get a vested interest in fitness. To recognise is a bit deeper than that. It's a bit more about performance. Coming out of that whole process, recognising, I don't know a lot a bunch about nutrition. We did the same postgraduate nutrition as well, performance nutrition. And further down the line, I guess I'd probably describe myself more of a health mongrel now. Like I'm, 
I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none, but I've done so many parts of different things. It's recognizing all these optimals and specializing in kind of different fields along the way. It's actually the humanistic elements and what makes people tick, which is most important to me, which is, I guess, more my coaching ethos these days and bringing out the best in people. Yeah. Out of interest, Dan, if you hadn't have had that experience when you were younger, do you think you would have still ended up going into the sort of like health and wellness and psychological side of health and fitness? I think so, possibly, because it was, it's regardless of whether I changed the shape of my body, I think when I dip my turn I'm quite fortunate I think now I look at a reflection that most of my vested interest at the time was changing shape of my body but it's also me dipping my toe was almost the performance and sports side as well so I'm really appreciative of that because I think a lot of people when they get in the industry now it is purely from aesthetics only so although I was went from this environment where I was judged solely based on my appearance is it became more than that for me and then I somehow got suckered into uh, the aesthetic sports side of things after uni so I kind of went around about the houses in that initially it was diet culture I guess and changing my appearance that would make me feel better about myself that made me feel more confident that might make me appealing to other people and um, essentially either being visible for all of the wrong reasons or invisible that's that's kind of how I, I felt very much in my my teen years to changing the shape of my body brought about a visibility and aesthetic sports lends itself to quite well with that but I don't like being judged on how I look but that's the allure of physique sport and it's more subjective and it's more critical and it's more cutthroat and you know people have no qualms so could I distinctly answer that yes or no I don't think I could but you know I think it was heavily influenced by my formative years and a lot of how I felt about myself and if I have to kind of whittle away all the layers beneath that I think there's a lot of self-worth stuff there and um feeling unlovable and just not good enough which I think a lot of people can resonate with for various different reasons but that brought about perfectionist traits in me that came out later on and this need to excel or this need to appeal to others this need to get a bit of external validation all of the wrong reasons because I wasn't really aware of these inner resources that I talk about now to people so um that didn't answer your question distinctly at all. I think it played a part in it. Would I distinctly have gone into that? I don't know. Yeah. No, I think you did a great job of answering the question and that tangent is very relevant and will be very insightful for people. And I think that going through those sort of experiences is sometimes almost necessary to get to where you're supposed to be and they teach you so much. Hmm. Um, and do you think you going through that journey yourself and having been in that position where you're maybe seeking external validation for the wrong reasons and maybe your body image wasn't in a good spot, do you think that adds to your coaching ability now? I think so, without that sounding too conceited, in that I've experienced so many different aspects of that, not just professionally, but personally within my own journey. So I, I've been in the performance sports side, I've been in the aesthetic side, I've competed although arguably I'd be I'd say I was more of a participant than an actual competitor when I was in physique sport so I like to think that because I think like the the way the dynamics work within the fitness industry is often that if someone hasn't achieved something it's almost framed in a way that that's why they're speaking about that certain topic so I'm by far I'm not anti-diet but 
anyone I work with, I want to go in with informed choice, essentially, that they have an understanding of all the facets involved. So the glorified six pack looking amazing part, but also the detriments and the downsides that come with that. And I do think having experienced it, I do have, I'm not just saying just me uniquely, but possibly with lived experiences, quite a unique insight into various different facets of like how that influences you and how that affects you deeper down so when I talk about you know deeper fulfilled needs I do think there's a little bit of that you know when it comes to bodybuilding it comes with basing our identity on a crossfitter or BJJ or whatever that pursuit may be identity is such an important part of that um and our, our deeper rooted needs are so closely aligned to that which is why I think there's been so much more of an emergence of talking about personal values talking about what success means to you uniquely not what societal success is or what societal uh, body ideals are but what you know what are you happy with I don't think many of us are attuned with that not unless we've made a concerted effort to truly investigate that and my early 20s I don't you know I I didn't wasn't aware of this stuff I don't think I discovered what self-compassion was till I was 30 probably No. And I think a lot of the reason we go down the route of actually investigating these things and identifying our own definition of success is if we've sort of strayed too far from our own path, we've realized actually we were chasing a goal that made us, that didn't make us happy. And so that's when we've started to question things, Mm. almost gone too far the other way in a lot of circumstances. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I think so. But again, I think that gives us unique insight because is very well I think there is distinct industries that you know they will crap on physique sport having never been there and yeah sure you can still highlight those aspects but I think you're more aware of those if you've been there same as the other way around you know there'll be people that'll say oh well if you're you're anti-diet what do you know you know you've never been in shape in air quotations whatever that means is I do think when you've been in those realms it does give you unique insight so I don't know. I always describe empathy as a superpower, but a kryptonite at the same time. And actually, you know, that's where compassion comes in. And I think compassion is, it's associated with being a bit airy fairy, but it's just being objective. You know, it's being objective, the ability to step back to pause, to think about it rationally, you know, whether it's self-compassion, is this the best thing for me? Or when it's working, we're working with someone else and it's, they've approached me for this set of thing. Sure. I can be empathetic, but actually, telling them and holding them accountable to the things they promised themselves is more important in this situation. Yeah. And when it comes to compassion, I think a lot of people get it so wrong. They think it's just being soft when in reality, compassion can sometimes involve giving yourself a little bit of tough love, giving yourself mm. a bit too. So people often get that very wrong and in so sort of bash a compassionate approach when in reality, they just have a very wrong perception of what it, what it actually looks like in practice. Mm. I'm not one that lives by quotes and sayings, but something that really sticks in my mind is this whole honesty delivered without compassion is cruelty. Because I think a lot of the stuff that we see is kind of wrapped in air quotations, like tough love. And I do think there's just a a, a cruel way to deliver certain things that people and the polarized space that social media is, especially they get kicks out of it because it's it's shared for all of the wrong reasons or the, the reasons they hadn't intended, but with the way you're rewarded socially, especially with, followers and the social currency that comes with that and reach is it's essentially incentivized to be a bit mean be a bit polarized to be a bit cruel to be a bit you know however you're gonna you know phrase it in the fitness space so the gray area in between is entirely unsexy and 
you know, frankly, more difficult to market, which is why it's not as seen as much of, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And seeing as though you've had personal experience in both sort of performance sports, such as jiu-jitsu and physique sports, and you've also had experience professionally in those areas, do you find a lot of the struggles in terms of seeking external validation and body image struggles and self-worth struggles that people have are similar in both realms or do you find that there are quite significant differences? I think they manifest themselves in different ways or there's a certain, if it fits your narrative, because we all have certain stories we tell ourselves to give us justifiable reasons to do things. So, you know, we may even see that in the business space as we do now, I think in fitness, the fitness business space in that the glorified and embellished aspects of, you know, my work ethic, I work these hours. And, you know, there's a lot of questions around identity, tying yourself into that. And is there something deeper rooted that isn't being fulfilled, which is why you put so much of yourself into your work. I think we see aspects of that in performance sport, whereas success, winning, so much of their identity is in that. And if they're not there, it's feeling less than, and we see it with physique sport as well. If I don't look a certain shape, then I feel less than, I feel unworthy, I feel unlovable in some shape or form. And it also gives me some real control variables in life. There are aspects of myself that I don't want to address right now because it's deeply uncomfortable, but this is a nice comfortable thing I can invest my time and energy in and still be productive on the outside or still be successful to, to everyone else around me. Yeah, and I think it can be quite difficult to spot those things externally from the outside looking in because, like you said, it can sometimes come off as it's really hard to recognise the difference between healthy productivity from Mm. the outside looking in and someone who actually has a lot they need to address but maybe they're pushing themselves into work to distract themselves from that and to sort of suppress all of that. Are there any ways in which, for anyone listening to this, people could maybe identify the difference between healthy productivity and maybe unhealthy productivity in themselves and in others? I think naturally everyone has that slightly inner discernment. They have an inkling about it already. But I think the distinguishable thing, like most behaviour changes, like there's near a caution with what we do in health because it's always separating the intent from behaviour. So like you can, we can all accept exercise is healthy. So if the intent there and the value associated with it is I want to be a healthy individual, but then the behavior is I'm exercising 10 times a week and actually I feel compelled to do that. That's distinctly different, but you don't want to demonize exercise in itself. So I think one of the biggest things for most people is, you know, getting a bit honest with yourself. And this is where I think like self-reflective practice and some introspective work is really useful. You know, is this an act of empowerment or imprisonment? Am I missing out on other aspects of life because I'm doing this? You know, what are your justifiable reasons now? Because again, it's that case of if it fits your narrative. I mean, I, I can look back at um, when I was on one prep. I did prep over Christmas once and I did prep over our engagement parties. You know, and it was a matter of pride. I was eating out of Tupperware. I went on a friend's stag do. We went to Newquay and I packed two days worth of food in those disposable kind of takeaway boxes, the foil tin things, labelled them, numbered them, took this fridge that I plugged into the minibus van, spent nine hours getting there. And that was a huge badge of honour at the time. Yeah. But then I look at the broader experience of that and 
spending time with loved ones. You know, I'm talking about all aspects, spending time with loved ones, immersing yourself in the social occasion or having it dominate all of your headspace. So, you know, from the productivity side, if you can't just sit there and be present with people around you, there's, you know, possibly something that's tied to that. If you can't put your phone down, at all you know and I always have this thing now as I, I make a conscious effort if, if I'm having a conversation with someone is my phone's in my pocket or it's out of sight because I think it sends that unconscious message that if something pops up on my phone that's more important than what you've got to say to me so yeah. can you pull yourself away from those environments and how much of that it dominates your life and you know obviously it's, it's context specific right and how we use it so I think even with body image it's uh it's a scale. It's almost like a dimmer switch. It's I'm feeling a bit insecure about how I look, which is a normal level of body dissatisfaction. Most people have, if they go swimming, you know, being a bit conscious or going on holiday and have thoughts around that, or is it actually affecting intimacy with your partner? You know, can you not go to bed with the lights on or you don't want them to see you naked and things like that. So I think it's the extent in which it affects your, the other aspects of your life around you, but even that takes a little bit of self-awareness and the contradictory thing I find is it takes a level of self-awareness to become more self-aware to yeah. the point you go up the other end of the spectrum and you're too self-aware <laughs> and you can end up living your life totally disembodied and just in your head. hundred percent. And with yourself and with your clients, are there any practices you would recommend to encourage that sort of self-reflection and to maybe say you've got a client who you have a feeling is sort of overworking for reasons that maybe they shouldn't be, but um, you don't want to just say to them up front, you know, yeah, you're this is self, this is really damaging behavior, etc. Because you want them to sort of establish that for themselves. How would you recommend they dig into that? I think where coaching has evolved for me is it is for a lot of people, I think it move you move almost like from a and don't get me wrong, there are there are times when one approach is more appropriate than the other but we almost move from like this directive approach where it's providing all the answers to then this non-directive with essentially pulling the answers out of people themselves which that's how I see truly coaching is so coaching is this interchangeable use term in which a lot of people in our industry are there's your macros there's your generic plan bi-weekly check-in off your pop bring back your after pictures to me whereas I find that I give you know, self-reflective practice. If I record, and I have done this, I've recognized it in a, a client, it might be that if we've introduced things that something like journaling is I will give them a list of journal questions, but not make it solely around that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it gets deeper rooted. So something along the lines of what is work providing me now that I'm not able to find elsewhere in life. Something like that will be in and amongst 10 questions, for example. Yeah. And you'll often get something back like, oh, well, this one makes me feel really uncomfortable. And then just as a personal coaching thing, I quite like the exploratory conversational side of coaching as well. So some of them, some of the people I work with will just go on questionnaires only. And that's the kind of feedback they prefer, depending on what sort of individual they are. As we know, like some people like stats, some people like written feedback, some people like verbal feedback. It might be the opportunity to have a conversation about it. And essentially, you'd just be asking open-ended questions. And then I find people do find their own answers. It's like, oh, yeah, I suppose, like, I did turn down that. I haven't seen my friends in a good four weeks. And like little realisations like that will pop into the head. I haven't had that much time with my partner. Or, oh, yeah, I'd like, I'm either working or I'm training. I'm not doing much else. Little realisations like that will crop in. So it's not necessarily telling them, but directing them to hopefully open up those avenues of thought themselves. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the different forms of feedback that you offer as well, because I think you're so right in that everyone maybe needs a slightly different approach to the coaching process. But I do think there are a lot of coaches out there in the industry who do sort of do things very, it's either this way or nothing. Mm. And they'll impose a, a very rigid structure on their clients. Um, whereas it sounds like you take a very person-centered approach and you're able and willing to adapt the process to the individual, which I think is brilliant. Um, so you mentioned your check-in feedback being one of the ways in which you do that. What other ways in which do you sort of make the, the coaching process specific to the individual? Depending on what kind of benchmark figures they want to go on. So you know, if it's someone working on working with body image or food relationship, it might be something a little less tangible in terms of metrics. So as I'm sure you do, when you're working with people with body image or, or relationship with food, it may be that you don't look at metrics like measurements or you don't look at metrics like scale weight because the ironic thing is I've been thinking about this a lot and actually my own messaging and almost, I don't actively promote fat loss these days. I still support many clients with fat loss, but by promoting it is contradictory to a lot of what I guess people are at loggerheads of promoting. So I don't think, my personal belief, you cannot promote working with someone's body image, enhancing their relationship with food, whilst consciously promoting fat loss as well. That's just my belief. Because one is distinctly body shape and body focused because some of the variables you may look to, measurements, scale, weight, visuals, brings preoccupation back to body. Whilst essentially working on the relationship with food and body image side of things is pulling way attention. So that, that they're like almost completely contradictory. So with my own messaging, it's, it's very much depends on that client and what metrics they want to go on. So if it is someone that does come to me with all of those, because, you know, everyone wants to have it all it might be just a conversation around managing their expectations is what do you want to make the focal point for this time frame and then as we go along we can reevaluate and redefine what that means to you based on what kind of where you are in that phase similarly it might be something with fat loss in that i might have a suspicion that as most people do we we think we don't have that much to lose to look a certain way if we pull out i don't know wolverine or something is I know personally that they're going to, it's going to take a lot more than they're probably happy to give up to get there. And it will just be coaching through that process of mentioning that in the first instance, but the closer they get to that kind of highlighting the other aspects of performance, which might be coming out and more important to them. So then again, it draws the focus away of that. And it may be that they're, they're happier a little bit away from that goal. But yeah. again, it's, it's more what tangibles do they want to focus on? What's the primary goal here? Because if it is working on your body image in your relationship with food is we can reevaluate and retouch on that fat loss goal a bit further down the line. But if we are assessing fat loss along in that initial process, because a lot of people, if they've been tracking the, their macros um, meticulously for years is they probably will put on a bit of weight and I don't want them to feel totally deflated because we're using tracking their weight as a metrics of, you know, how they're getting with their fat loss. It may be, this is the distinct time frame we're focused on that. And then we can reevaluate and redefine that a bit further down the line. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned your opinion on sort of supporting clients with their body image, but also promoting fat loss. Mm. Because I do a bi-weekly Facebook live Q and A for my clients and I coach a lot of personal trainers and coaches 
And one of them asked, how do I navigate helping the fact that I help clients with fat loss and I also help clients with their body image? She said, should I be posting transformation pictures? Because I kind of feel a bit funny about it. Mm. And I said to her, well, if you feel funny about it, I don't do it because that gives you your answer. I think if you feel yourself conflicted, via doing something it is a very clear sign that you probably shouldn't do that thing and it's probably putting out the wrong message yeah it's probably something that's you know i think we all get that little inkling when we're maybe acting out unaligned with our personal values sometimes and look i think when people and when i say redefining my message i think there are times because it comes from the best place coaches we do want to we want to provide all because we know we've had the the skill set i was talking to charlie a little bit about this because you probably have now based on your history of competing and working with physique athletes is a population like why doesn't she use that skill set but it's your understanding and having that skill set means you can better support people from i hate the word but more on a holistic level so uh, you know supporting the psychological aspects and i think the distinct difference there is promoting fat loss and supporting it actively promoting it is completely contradictory to supporting body image and relationship with food in my opinion yeah do you Dan do you still support people with fat loss within your coaching practice even though you don't actively promote it on social yes. media yeah yeah I do and that's just a conscious um social media messaging thing so it's it's I don't want to say as much it's not as much because as, as we know there's like a cost of congruence almost I, I think we spoke about this before and when I stopped using before and after pictures and I stopped talking about weight loss and certain metrics that people use that you know there is our industry is built off diet culture you know there's nothing wrong with wanting to change the shape change the shape of your body I just think now I'm I'm working with people at a different point in their journey because it's not necessarily a right or wrong thing it's just everyone's on a very different level on their on their journeys and I think when people get possibly to work with me is that they've, they've done the other stuff. There's nothing wrong with the other stuff, but it's not just losing a bit of weight. It's actually feeling, functioning, performing my best within what's important in life. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned not promoting fat loss because of mm. that being contradictory to helping your clients with their body image. Do you think it's possible to pursue fat loss whilst improving your body image? Yeah, I do. I do. And that probably sounds a bit contradictory because I think, it, again, it depends on where someone is on their journey. So, you know, if someone's in a much larger body and their focal point is fat loss at that time, depending on their history, like how much of that has been yo-yo dieting, how much of that has been exposed to the worst aspects of dieting. Because I, I naively thought, isn't it nice to be, well, wouldn't it be nice to be able to work with someone as a clean slate? But there is no clean slate because we're exposed to the worst from we're like five, four, five, you know, whether it's your parents pinching and groping parts themselves. I remember my mum having slim bar shakes, you know, all of these things. There are no clean slates. So um, I do think you can up until a point. But as kind of the research suggests is the closer we get to that body ideal, whatever we have in our mind is we just shift the goalposts. We redefine what that body ideal is. And the lengths we go to are greater and the lengths that we go to are more to the detriment of our health. And I think that is what pulled me away from working with physique athletes is that it became totally counter to what I wanted to promote. I was in the business of promoting health. And if someone's in a much larger body and you're supporting them with their fat loss categorically, that can improve their confidence, their body image. And, you know, 
it can enhance their life. We were talking about people that, you know, that if they lose a significant amount of weight, that, that increases their life expectancy. We can't deny that. But it's when you tee to the edge of now we're going into the unhealthy realms, uh, realms. everything that you're doing. And again, from a personal uh, standpoint is, you know, being so tired and exhausted on 1700 calories a day, training twice a day, not even having the energy to go shopping and sleeping in the car when I'd arranged to go out for the day, things like that I can reflect on and certain patterns that I see in others. And actually the thing that I drew the line in the sand was it was one, it was a physique athlete I was working with and she'd done a European competition, got invited to a world competition. And at the run up to the European competition, I kind of, we had the, very open, nice conversation. This would be the last one. Well, she offered to get someone off to pay for her flights for the Worlds. Right. And it was, then that came out and she'd shared that she wasn't, she would have been lowering her calories to what I kind of suggested, which is just, that's fine. I understand the knee-jerk reaction of that because I've been in those shoes. We'd have open conversations about that. And then having worked with this person in these three years, then came out with, not only did they have a history of eating disorders themselves, but all of the women in their family. So she had two sisters and her mother that was experiencing eating disorders. All stuff that if I had known through that initial screening, I would not have taken that person down the physique route. And it just really opened my eyes to, I don't want to say how deceptive the person is, but how deceptive the illness can be. Yeah. Because it's not the person consciously deceiving someone. You know, same as I know that people have spoken to me about coaching that have wanted to pursue fat loss and I've kind of referred them on to a specialist and then come to find out they've gone to another coach. It's people disclose what they disclose. And if they don't disclose all the facts, we can only go on the basis of the information that we have. And that for me was like, uh, you know, I can't sleep at night knowing I'm making people unhealthier, even if it is closely aligned to how they want to look. Yeah. And I like to think I was good at that side of my job as well, but being good at it didn't make me feel any better. Yeah. And I was going to say, the thing is, even if she hadn't had that history of eating disorders, you would have still, ultimately, she would have still been sacrificing her health through the extreme dieting. Mm. There's no two ways about it. I think it's a, a really, it's difficult because within bodybuilding, there's obviously healthier practices, but it's never going to be truly healthy. Mm. And I think there are some coaches who create this sort of misconception that you can do bodybuilding in a healthy way and you can do it in a healthier way. You can minimize those negative effects Mm. to health, but it's never going to be healthy. Yeah. I think we could admire the sport for what it is. And I do, I have huge admiration, you know, the dedication, the time, the emotional investment that goes into that as well, because People are taking their bodies to the extreme and that's what we want. You know, bodybuilders don't want a life of balance. And I think there's this over-promotion of balance within certain strict disciplines is you can't be, like anything, even business, is if you want to be hugely successful and, you know, you want the whatever you want, whatever you want to attach in terms of monetary wealth, attach that. that's going to come with some sacrifice. But I think most people just want compromise in their life. They don't want sacrifice. They have to make loads of sacrifices elsewhere. So almost by overly promoting balance, we're suckering people into these environments which are just exacerbating things that are likely already there. So, but you know, bodybuilding and perfectionism and seeking external validation and low self-worth. And I'm not saying that of everyone, but I think that is an environment and a culture that exacerbates those things. You know, when we're celebrating the fact that we're flicking out grains of rice when we're 
preparing our Tupperware or we're hitting certain protein targets or, you know, I've dieted for, I think one of my competitions dieted for like 24 weeks and I ate the, that was on a diet plan and I was on the same meals every single day for 24 weeks. Huge badge of honor. You don't realize how disordered that is at the time, especially when you take your big binge bag after competition and like everyone's just throwing food in their faces and you're in this binge restrict cycle for weeks and weeks after a competition and you just think that's the norm because that's what everyone talks about as the norm well yeah and you don't realize it in the moment because of your echo chamber and because or mm. it's so hard because all that matters to you in that moment is quote-unquote bringing a better version of yourself to the stage so that's your sole focus and you almost block everything else out especially if you're using body bodybuilding as a coping mechanism because that's literally what you're doing it for and it's crazy looking back for me because I was just so laser focused on that goal that I didn't even I didn't even take a step back to question what I was doing at any point and if I had there would have probably been times where I wouldn't have continued certain preps like for example the year of corona I started my prep I think it was January or February and we obviously went into lockdown all of the shows were cancelled I was supposed to be competing in July and I decided to carry on prepping all the way through the uh, lockdowns and everything and then competed out the other side of it in September and October so I dieted the entire year basically and if I had just taken a step back but how much social reinforcement came with that like how many people re- told you how much they admired you for that it was definitely like I wore it like a badge of honor and people admired it but in reality it was just a silly decision really because it was completely unnecessary to do that yeah I think hindsight is a wonderful thing isn't it I think if I'm being entirely truthful I'm glad I did dip my toe in that realm but if I think when people talk about fat phobia they talk about it from like like a scared for scared of people in larger bodies but fat phobia to me and my understanding of it now is that this deep inherent fear of getting fatter and I think that carried over from being a teenager so when I entered bodybuilding and physique sport I was never really interested in bodybuilding. I was interested in body revealing. So yeah. I had so much negativity and negative connotations around being in a larger body. Even when I was going through building phases, which for a good few years, it was just essentially rinse and repeat. And when I talk about it now is, I see so many people in this perpetual cycle of they're either on prep or off prep because they don't know how to eat when they're you know in between so they're always in a hurry to get another prep and they're always talking about bringing a whole new package as you say no one's putting on any muscle in that time I was bringing the same package every bloody year to every bloody photo shoot until I took two years off to actually add some muscle I hated the process because I accumulated some body fat strongest I've ever been more muscular I've ever been but I felt miserable because yeah. I was never interested in bodybuilding. I was interested in body revealing. And that's something I can realize now at the time, I had no awareness of that. Yeah, I was very similar, Dan. And I remember I had a certain scale weight in my head, which I would not go above. Mm. If I ever reached that scale weight, I would do a mini cut in my improvement yeah. season under the guise of if I gain too much body fat, it will be harder to prep again. This is for my physique goals but really it was because I didn't want to gain that much body fat I was scared of gaining that much body fat 
there's just justifiable reasons for everything. I think even during prep, oh, I need a refeed this week. Well, no, you just want to have a binge out. You don't need a refeed. Like, you know, you haven't been dieting long enough. We've all got these distinct reasons for doing things. And for years, I, I told myself I needed that professionally for my job because that's what I saw around me. Yeah. As I said, I'm grateful like, I came more through a performance route. So when I came out the end of that, like the left, the less academic side of things, because I came through doing my UKCA, my PT qualifications, and then performance nutrition um, post-grad. And then it was dipping my toe into this, oh, well, I need to look the part as well. And everyone that I admire and everyone that is successful, they get their kit off. They've got a brand sponsorship deal. I was a sponsored athlete in air quotations. And um, I remember going on to Body Power one year, and I won't mention the name of the, the brand I was sponsored, sponsored by at the time. And, uh, you know, essentially being told to take my kit off or having people say, do you want join in with this shirt on or shirt off for a picture? And that was a year I was really hyped about actually having my voice heard because I was actually asked to do a talk as well. And that's really what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted my voice heard professionally, but I felt, felt I had to follow suit. I had to look the part as well. So I told myself for years, oh, I need to carry on this physique competitions because then people know I'm good at physique coaching. Like I can get people really lean. And it was, it was great for business. And I really wish I had a different side of the story to tell, to say that, you know, my skill set was amazing at that time. My skill set is better now, I would think, but I'm nowhere near looking like that. Yeah. But the, the, the association people have with looking the part, being the part, are so distinctly different. And that's still what the, 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 the broader industry tells people, I think, is that you need to look the part as well. Was there a sort of realization moment for you where you decided to move away from bodybuilding yourself personally? Yeah, my realization. So my daughter was on her way. Um, so this was uh, May 2016 was my last competition. My daughter wasn't born yet. I think I had a photo shoot. I loved the photo shoot. So I was, this was about six weeks prior to my last competition. And I was relatively happy with how I looked, but beginning to get to that really quite miserable stage. The pictures came out. I felt I'd look the best I had ever looked. And I reflected back at previous competitions and I thought, I hate posing. I hate being centre of attention for people looking at me and judging me on my body. I hate being told I need to be leaner in parts, bigger here, bigger there. I hate being objectified and I hate objectifying myself online as well. And after that, photo shoot I was like I don't want to do this comp I really don't but that was the expectation around me that's what I'd committed to to everyone around me and as a, a matter of pride and keeping face I followed through I hated it I didn't enjoy my last comp at all and that was the last I think that was the last year of when um physique side you could still wear trunks it wasn't board shorts then and it was a bit of a mismatch of categories as well because there wasn't a lot of participants and I just didn't enjoy it and I thought you know that has to be it there has to be more and I found that transition out of it really difficult because yeah. all sorts of social circles like when's the next shoot when's the next comp um are you still training and then the self-narrative that comes into that or does that mean I have looked like I haven't been training or you know um but that was the distinct moment I think I thought this is just negatively affecting all my other aspects of life like although work was good training that, that's essentially all I was doing I think I was probably neglecting personal relationships at the time I was going to have to step up and be a dad 
you know, just about responsible for myself. I'm going to have to be responsible for another. Um, yeah, and that was a realisation for me. I'm just not enjoying this no more. Yeah. It doesn't make me feel good either. And what during your transition away from that and then since, were you ever tempted to dive back into it because of how uncomfortable that sort of transition process might have been? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the allure is always there. I say always there, less so now, because I'm so far past it, I feel. But I find even in those environments, I'm a little bit like, oh, what if? And a little bit, I, I teeter between what if and I don't want to be bloody around this right now or, you know, around those conversations. And or I, I hear overhear certain conversations that people have and I just think, you know, this is a recipe for disaster. Or I see certain people's social media that I've known over the years and I just think, just stop bloody competing, please. But of course you can't have those conversations with people. It's like any behaviour change, those are realisations that people have to make themselves. But I think the allure is always there and I definitely have had times over the years where I've even not thought about competing, but I thought I need to I need to get leaner, I need to lose some weight or I need to get in shape for holiday. And I think um, sport has really helped that, just focusing a bit more on functionality. So, you know, focusing on what my body can do, becoming fitter, stronger from that perspective, less body checking, less jumping on the scales. All of the things I would advise for people I work with now, which again, I think that's why I think it's contradictory sometimes in promoting fat loss and promote, you know, especially, I don't know whether you've seen it in bodybuilding circles as well, is that there's people saying, you know, we can take you through prep by making sure you've got a healthy relationship with food or you've yeah. got a healthy body image and just totally contradictory. You can't. I'd love to think you could. And there might be outliers amongst that, but the thought process and the focal points at the two opposite ends of the spectrum is you can't focus on performance if you're driven by aesthetics only. You know, bodybuilding is the only sport in the world I can think of where it's acceptable that you get more shit. <laughs> the closer you get to competition your performance is through the floor you look great but you're not as strong as you were and you feel you yeah exactly you know yeah. for, for women especially there's there's more repercussions in terms of their menstrual cycle and you know regular bodily functions that were there that are no longer there yeah and in terms of those thoughts of what if that pop up where's the sort of drive for those thoughts coming from what is the pull to or what has been the pull to get back into losing body fat and maybe documenting that or um, going through a competition prep again? Where's that coming from? I think there's a lot of societal influence. I think I kind of had a lot of my time in that without the emergence of as many superhero movies, as much celebrating publicly. The, the way social media is blowing up and how much access we have to things like that. My first comp was... 2012 so social media was around but it wasn't really people weren't known so you couldn't really visit competitors pages and see what they were doing there definitely wasn't um stories or things like that there was just your feed so i think now is just the exposure to more and i try to filter that out as much as possible but there also is just a subliminal messaging amongst the industry is that you still have to look the part and i think that is in my psyche still despite knowing better I don't always do better with my thinking. So although I might consciously choose not to with my behaviours, my thinking still goes down that route because like any kind of neuroplasticity, I guess, it's, it was ingrained for such a long time and probably most of my life, if I'm being entirely truthful, because 
I grew up believing that my appearance was a very important part of my identity and was a sole reason why I might be lovable or worthy or I found place in social circles. So it makes sense that that stuff still creeps in. It's just having that thought interruption to go, actually, let's objectively think about this. Like, let's look at the broader picture. And I think that's that's just an acknowledgement of of most people because I think, you know, a lot of the messaging that's sold in the fitness space is almost like there's a an eventual end like there's a point of enlightenment of um you know where you don't have these things so if you're working on your body image you don't worry about that anymore it's just positive every single day it doesn't work like that you know any kind of negative thought is you get better at objectively stepping back and interrupting those thoughts but treating it like the presence of them will go away at some point it's never going to happen for a lot of people ever and i think I that's what realistic way of looking at yeah I talk to clients about that a lot when they're going through the process of like improving their body image or stepping away from dieting. The fact that you're still going to get those urges to diet again, you're still going to get those, you know, bad body image days. And it's just about learning how to manage those thoughts and not active acting impulsively in response to them anymore and not believing them as fact anymore. Whereas you might've done in the past. Um, but have you got any tools that you utilize yourself or you utilize with clients to help interrupt those thoughts and stop yourself or your clients stop stopping themselves acting on impulse to them? I think just the simple, and it sounds really vague, but just essentially just encouraging pause, pausing thought, get some space away from the thing in front of me right now, which is the allure, which is pulling me to make this knee-jerk reaction, which we all do instinctively, is this feeling right now makes me feel uncomfortable. What can I do to make myself feel better? And just encouraging that pause to, whether it's go for a walk or to write a few things down or to to helpfully distract. I think there's there's place for helpful distraction and not the escapism and avoidance kind of distraction is just to give yourself some space from that thought and that knee-jerk reaction. Something I experience a lot with clients as well is, you know, maybe a day, a week where things haven't positively moved or they haven't been able to get all their workouts in. It's like, right, next week, let's step it up. It's like, whoa, 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 let's slow down. Let's actually let's pause pause this and actually the realistic expectation of you have of yourself is just to keep going with what you're doing but be more consistent with those things so yeah essentially essentially the pause and this practice of acceptance is accepting what is and what i'm in control of and trying to worry less about what i'm not but i do think it's managing the environment as well which is really difficult for people because there are times when I get utterly disillusioned and sick of social media. And, you know, it's an important aspect to work. So there is a tie to that, but there's certain people I work with, they don't have that. They don't need social media. Like, you know, they effectively, they go to their jobs and it's like, can, can we encourage periods of just managing your environment a bit more? What you expose yourself to? Can we just focus on less tangible things like sleep this week? You know, don't scroll your phone until the second you go to bed. So you put your phone in another room at eight o'clock at night. Little things like that, little things just to interrupt this external you know kind of taking on of information all the time subjecting ourselves to thoughts and opinions of other people and actually becoming more embodied getting yourself back in your body and out of your head you know can it be focusing on i mean that's why i love jujitsu for example it is the ultimate act of embodiment for me because it's all about presence it's the it's not just the physical act of it being a sport and great for fitness strength and everything else but it's one of the few things that 
brings me back into my body out of my head because I'm quite a cognitive person I guess like ending up down rabbit holes but can you focus on bringing yourself back into your body being present with the, the experiences around you yeah I love that and I found very similar well I do still do yoga I find very similar with that and I also did pole dancing for a while and that for me was brilliant because my gut instinct is to be drawn to sports like CrossFit or mm. bodybuilding where the intensity of the training is incredibly high and actually doing something the opposite of that is what I really need mm. but the high intensity stuff is what I'm automatically drawn to yeah I think it's also helping people that this is bloody uncomfortable there will be times where you think it's not worth it because it's so uncomfortable because we you know our brains have this wonderful capacity to protect us at all times and what protects us helps us feel safe and what provided safety for a long time are things like dieting are things like immersing yourself in bodybuilding because it does come with safety it comes with social reinforcement it comes with that uh, feeling of accomplishment that is brought about with that applause around you and admiration and even if you don't feel like you're particularly achieving anything in yourself other people are telling you that so it must be true yeah and in terms of you mentioned sometimes you get sick of social media how do you balance the potential need for it as someone who has an online business with honoring your need to take a step back from it when you when you really need that there's always that allure to like i guess do stuff that you know will work in terms of engagement and being appealing to people and actually I'm trying to, I try to put stuff out which is more aligned with my values and what I truly believe. So any anything I put out now is I'm at ease with this. I'm happy with what I put out regardless of the impact it has on others. I even turn likes off my post myself so I don't see my own likes. Because I think that has the possibility to go either way. And again, it's one of those things, no matter how self-aware you are, is it does have this allure and it does when, you know, you can come out of Love Island and have 1 million followers and be selling a diet product and everyone, you know, celebrate you, but you're like, hang on, I've got some really important things to say. I think just being at ease with what I put out is really helpful. I think it's having designated and allocated time to do that as well. Not just scrolling continuously. Like this is going to be two hours I'm dedicating to producing some content and then it goes out. And then perhaps I revisit that later in the day to interact with anything that may be there but just not passively spending all my time on there is something I have to do. And having periods away, like I have to have periods away, I find not documenting life because I think in the fitness space, especially we, we hear about value and showing up, but if you're neglecting other aspects of your life or you're not showing up for the people that truly matter or showing up for yourself, it doesn't matter whether you're showing up on social media to a bunch of strangers, you know? They're showing up in different ways. And if you're showing up for other people online and documenting every aspect of your life, to appease them and neglecting yourself great you've got a few extra followers out of that but you know what's the longer term impact to you and your mental health these are kind of just like the internal thoughts that go on in my head i'm not sitting here preaching and telling anyone else how they should use it um i don't follow many aesthetic based accounts anymore i don't follow any really i don't follow a great number of people in general because i think that is part of me managing my environment and what i expose myself to um i, I had a a friend I've known him for years I've known him since we both started competing at the same time 2012 
and he had noticed, he's got quite a high profile, he had noticed that I'd unfollowed him a while ago. This was back when you couldn't just mute people, by the way, I should add. Yeah. I wasn't just being mean, because I think mute function is great these days. And um, he took real offence to it. And, you know, kind of no matter, very open and honest and just said, like, you know, when I moved away from that space, I just need to reduce my exposure to it. It wasn't nothing about you. We still message. I mean, I've got bodybuilder friends that I will message in the DMs, but I don't follow them online. Yeah. That's self-preservation for me. Um, he didn't take it too well, you know, but all I could do was be honest. And I like to think and I'd like to sit here and tell you that every interaction goes well like any other boundary enforced, but it's, it's about you and your self-preservation. So I think, I don't want to say ruthless, but I'm very consciously aware of how negative things can impact me and my mind, even knowing, again, knowing better. If you're exposed to it all the time is we create our own version of, of reality based on what we expose ourselves to. So if you're moving away from physique sport, yet you're still exposing yourself to loads of physiques, Although you might be doing your conscious effort away from that, if you spend a great deal of time online for your business and everyone on your feed has got their kit off, it's, you know, it's going to bring that preoccupation and focus back to your body. Yeah, I think it's important to be ruthless with who you expose yourself to. And it doesn't, it's not anything personal. You know, I did the same thing when I moved away from bodybuilding. I followed, I unfollowed a lot of bodybuilding accounts now obviously the mute mute button is great like you yeah. said but yeah. I unfollowed yeah at the time you couldn't just mute someone so I unfollowed a lot of people and it was nothing personal at all some of those people were people who you know I, I'd got along with and um, had met in person but it was just me being protective of my own energy yeah. and exposing myself to things that were going to have a positive impact on my life in some way yeah. and yeah not a negative and I think it's so important to be that way I think so and I think you know if, if people have a, a greater understanding hopefully a lot of listings and stuff like this is and you know whether you overstate it's personal or not if it is a point of self-preservation you're going through your own transition of change because that is a huge identity shift and I think any identity shift is something that people can resonate with whether it's bodybuilding whether it's a job change or whether it's becoming a parent like whatever that may be incredible life experiences these people are still people i would say i love you know i'd love and they're great people i speak to them in person when i see them at events it's just i understand that their social media has a certain function for them it is documenting their progress or is building their business off their physique i won't push my uh, opinions onto what i think of that but that is their prerogative that is what they want to do with their social media and if i don't want to subject myself to that i won't but that doesn't mean i think any less of them as a person it's just I want to see you. I don't want to see pictures of you in your pants. Yes. <laughs> out of interest, Dan, how often do you actually take a step back from social media? And do you ever still feel an element of guilt when you do that as someone who runs an online business? I think the pandemic brought me back into it. I was a little bit better with it, with it before that, in honesty. So I do have like little rules now, which have I, you know, I take my foot off the gas a little bit. So little things like coming off my phone after 8 p.m. Like I just, there's no need for me to be scrolling social media that night. Anything that comes up can wait. Um, and I did go through a very long phase, which has crept in a little bit more recently, not looking at my phone until kind of two hours into my day. Because again, I, you know, I don't want thoughts and impressions that other people have impacting my day. Um, and having large blocks of time away from it. So I was very, like I would have a holiday with uh, the family, for example, and it'd just be like my, I'll delete all the apps off my phone and I would just put my phone in 
the safe for the holiday and I would not look it at all. Since the pandemic and not going away as much and I guess not enough as many forced breaks is I don't have that as much now. Like I haven't had a total week off for some time, but I will take like a full weekend off. I will take a full day off and things like that. But yes, I'm trying to be a little bit more intentful with why I'm there, not just this passive just visiting it for the sake of it. I think we'd spoke about it before. So I don't have it on my my main screen, my home screen, my, my social media um, apps. I have to physically search them. I'm thinking about it one step further and actually logging in and logging out every time as well. Yeah. But I haven't done that yet, but that's just something I'm thinking about because, you know, it's, you can live your life on there. And I think when you're on there as well, you see how much content other people do. It does bring about this natural competitive thing. If you have that in you already is I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. Oh, I'm going to suffer as a result of doing that. Whereas if you remove yourself from it entirely is you can't impose those thoughts upon yourself. Yeah, definitely. And if you're intentional about when you go on there, going on there to create and not consume, mm. that I do when I'm actually posting, I will go through my DMs when I go on to post I'll post, I'll create, and then I'll come off it as opposed to posting and then scrolling through yeah. everyone else's stuff. And then if at a different time of day, if I do actually want to intentionally consume and look at some of the accounts, which I do really enjoy the content mm-hmm. of, then I'll go on there at a separate time to be intentional with that. And I'll limit t- my time on it. Yeah. as opposed to just getting lost in this like scroll hole for hours <laughs> yeah yeah I've tried to turn a lot of stories off again that's nothing personal to anyone else that's just because you can lose yourself to a rabbit hole of you know watching everyone's stories of essentially stuff which is lovely stuff to do with our lives but you know it's just eating up time in your day um yeah and just mean more meaningful connection I think like whether it's remotely like this longer form content just having chats with people or in the dms is I'd much rather be in the DMs having conversations with people about things that are important to them than just doom scrolling. So I, I at least feel if I'm answering questions or I'm in DMs just having conversations and catch-ups with people or we're arranging things like podcasts, for example, is that's intentful use of time. So even if it is a lot of time, that is still worthwhile time. It's not the same as, oh, I'm, I don't know, I'm looking at Hugh Jackman's latest workout video for the new prep for Wolverine or something like that, you know, some wasted time. I think even if you spend a lot of time on there, it can be not productive time, but it can be intentional time. I think um, we get lost in always being productive when sometimes it's just being, which is a skill we've all lost. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think so many people live there and obviously I'm guilty of this from time to time as well like living in quite a passive and also reactive state yeah. as opposed to being intentional and um do it like again living in line with your own values and your definition of success and being intentional about moving in the direction that you want to move in yeah there is that I think I mentioned it earlier but there is a cost of the congruence so for you acting in line with your values, what's truly important to you and what your version of success is, does come at a counter to what a lot of other people do a lot of the time. So you can't say you value health and special connections in your life if you know your phone's out all the time, if you can't go for brunch with a friend without taking pictures of a meal. Like there's 
there's this thing about chasing evidence of presence rather than just being present. I remember that we went to Disneyland just before the pandemic, literally two weeks before everything got locked down. And we were watching one of the parades and don't get me wrong, everyone takes snaps and videos, but the amount of people that I just saw were literally just experiencing the whole thing through their screen. As I think most people do at concerts is you see people take loads of videos of concerts. Like, When are you going to watch that again? You know, who's going to show that footage to? And I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing if you just put your phone in your pocket and just absorbed everything around you? You're experiencing it all through this screen so you can get a recording of it so you can show others, whether it's on Instagram or you should go family, family and friends. But what if you were to stick that in your pocket now and just soak in everything that's happening around you? You know, look down at that kid that's your child that's next to you or your partner that's next to you and actually, you know, appreciate the the, the experience together rather than I just need to chase presence of it. And this is this whole thing on social media and uh, value i think we get caught up in documenting our lives versus what's actually valuable and useful to people there's element of us that we have to show because it's a personal job there's an element of personability involved people want to know who we are as well but you know it doesn't need to be oh you know sitting on the toilet right now what are you guys up to you know we don't need to document everything yeah and when you're talking about things like being at disneyland nothing ever looks back as good on your screen anyway no um, I know they're missing out like so much and I completely obviously like we both have businesses online I will document certain things but there's a very fine line and I'm very intentional about whenever I'm spending time with like friends and family my phone goes away my phone's not out um because and do you know what I will openly admit that that's partially because I did I think get to a point in the past when I was bodybuilding actually, where I would spend excessive time on my phone, even when I was spending time with like my boyfriend at the time, for example, because he was on his phone as well. And he also had an online business. Mm -hmm. So we'd both be doing that. And I think I learned a lot from that um, about how disconnected I was at that time and have since been really intentional about whenever I'm with a friend or family member or loved one or whatever my phone will go away and I feel so much better as a result of it mm. but it's really interesting how we talk about looking a certain way in the fitness industry but actually embodying practice is small things like that and when we talk about discipline it isn't getting up at 5am doing the cardio session it, it might be the discipline of putting your phone away at eight o'clock or putting your phone away when you're out with loved ones and getting to bed at these now that takes some discipline seemingly unimportant things like that take real discipline because they're so easy to do but we glorify embodying practice by getting your steps in or meticulously tracking your calories but if i'm talking to my clients about these kind of things as well embodying practice means i'm bloody doing them as well so i can't very well be telling you like why don't we try and get bay earlier tonight why don't we stop doom scrolling social media you know and then be doing it myself 100% so I think I think that's just a healthy prompt for all of us is you know not always am I living in line with my, my values but am I living in line with my message yeah and that is the the true thing about being congruent and there is some incongruence I find with you know lots of the messaging in social media people that say they value their family and time with their family but they're doing two-hour morning routines or they're never at home it's do you saying that because that's a you know that's a very comfortable narrative that's how you've justified it that you're doing this to provide a life for them or you're just neglecting your family you know and it's 
I'm not I'm not being too judgmental with that. I just think it's a healthy point for everyone is we have justifiable reasons for doing anything, but can you be honest with yourself and are you acting in line with what you tell everyone your is your personal value? And is that truly your personal value? Yeah. And when it comes to like marketing your business on social media, Dan, do you ever find it hard to navigate that without the use of things like progress pictures which other coaches might utilize because we all know that you know when you do press progress pictures it is a good form of marketing it works yeah. to get clients in the door um but for a lot of us like myself and you we don't use them because we don't feel comfortable with it and it doesn't really reflect our messaging how yeah how do you navigate that and do you ever struggle with it or get frustrated with it all of the above I do struggle with it. I do get frustrated with it, probably more so when I first stopped doing it, because I think I keep saying about the cost of congruence. The cost of congruence at that time was it did have a financial impact because the photo shoot packages that I used to do, no matter how much I wrapped it up in, it was about how you felt at the end of that process and talking about people better fathers, like people more productive at work and all those other aspects. It always came back to body. So through that transitional period is you know you're you're not promoting those aspects because they're not as easy to sell and i think that a lot of people want to do better but the allure and the fact of it is we do have bills to pay does draw them back to that but just being more at ease and accepting this is my place now like i want i want people to look more introspectively and i want people to to be my message to be around how people feel like what are your life experiences is this life enhancing because sure you can look a certain way but if that's the detriment of other aspects of your life or it leads to a point of where you're consistently unhappy like what's what's the point so I, I still get all of the above I still get frustrated that many peers that are very well respected know better don't do better that that's what I'm most uneasy with I think yeah. is that I think you know it all comes from a the best place possible when I think when we're in promotion, those things. And when you don't know better, I can reflect on times when I overly promoted aesthetics and glorified those aspects of it. And I didn't know better at that time. I don't think it's, it's right for me to apologize for it because that was my best at that time. But what I can acknowledge now, are there some less healthy aspects of that? And there is a different way of doing it. But I know people in the industry that are quite well respected that know that, they acknowledge that in private and even like in the public, podcast setting and things like that but publicly is very different and that fills me with unease and that fills me with frustration because those are the people that I guess other coaches are really looking up to and those people that are, they're going to them for mentoring as well so when they're going to them for mentoring and I hear of instances like certain mentors won't work with people unless they use before and after pictures despite knowing better and I just think well that's it's clearly a, a profit over people thing then because you can acknowledge all these detriments to promoting that message, the broader societal impacts of that, but yet you choose to for financial gain. And a little bit of that's cutting my nose off to spite my face because, you know, arguably it is leaving money on the table, but there's more to me and this job than just money, you know? And when I got into it, it was never about the money because actually when I got into it, it was just a, a regular vocation. Like most people is you, you make a, uh, a decent income doing something that you love or a relatively normal income doing something you love that you feel good about because you're positively enhancing other people's life and that allows you to lead your life it's like I don't have days where I hate Mondays I love my job but at the same time it's I think people are now coming into the industry with expectations on 
earning £10,000 a month tax-free. And the cost of that is they're going to have to act incongruently, I think, sometimes. Because yeah. when you know better, you choose not to do better. You know, um, we have a broader responsibility, I think, to people that are stepping into the industry. So that in time changes the whole culture, you know, not only amongst our peers, but it changes people's expectations and us seeing more diversity, equally represented bodies and people having more realistic expectations. So they're not just scrolling their favourite Fitspo or favourite influencers pages saying, I want to look like them without understanding exactly what goes into that or you know, that might be that person's avoidance tactic or that might be that person's eating disorder and all these other things. But with my messaging is I feel better talking about these things, even if it's hugely unpopular. I'll take the hit on that because honesty and integrity are some of my values. So if I wasn't talking about those things, it'd feel disingenuous. And sadly, even if it's at the cost of my own business sometimes, which it is. <laughs> I think it's... It's just, it comes down to what are your priorities. Like for us, I genuinely care so much about each individual that I work with. They are my number one priority and helping people is my priority over business. Like I know that I could make more money if I was to go back into a bodybuilding prep and start posting transformation pictures. Probably. Yeah, go back to coaching physique athletes. Yeah, you could. But then on the flip side of that, and this is a conversation that I've had with Charlie before, it's potentially more short-lived because you can't do that for You can't go through those bodybuilding preps forever. You know, your body is going to change at some point. And then couple that with the fact that if it is out of alignment with your values, you may go through a bit of a mental health crisis at some point, and then you have to take a step back from everything. Mm. So actually long term the the method of acting in alignment with your values and putting your clients first and not using transformation pictures if they aren't in line with the message that you promote actually is probably a better route for long-term success if you go about it in the right way yeah. Um, so yeah it's it's a difficult one um but I think like I said it comes down to what your priorities are and ultimately there are it's frustrating to know this, but there are other coaches in the industry whose priority is finances over their clients' health and their clients' success. Mm. Um, and the unfortunate thing is the clients that need us the most are sometimes drawn to those clients and they have a really difficult experience before they eventually come around to working with the likes of us. Yeah. We've got all these facets that lend themselves really well to what I would call an unhealthy working environment, which is un unregulated. We all know that as well. So you've got the glorified aspects of physique, but that muddled with the glorified aspects of business and productivity within it. So it becomes a really healthy, in air quotations, avoidance strategy for all because they can immerse themselves in being productive, looking a certain way, scaling their businesses, earning a certain amount of money. There's, there is no awareness. So they, they might acknowledge and kind of, I guess, publicly speak about things like values, but is it, you know, I, I question whether they actually sit down and get aligned with them. So making money, by the way, that can be a personal value. That's absolutely fine. But what is it at the cost of elsewhere? And can that be number one on the priority list? Or if you are in the business of truly helping people, like, is that about their health as well? And being honest and having some integrity about that? Because I don't know, again, it comes back to that interchangeably used term coaching. Like, is it coaching or is it just 
scaling and working with as many people as possible. Because I, I personally think, I think if you're truly coaching, there is going to be a cap on that. And that's going to vary between people. But I can't, I can't personally get my head around people that are coaching 100 plus people with the amount of care, attention, dedication that they need, knowing about their them, their families, their dynamics at home, the challenges they're experiencing in day-to-day life is how can you get to know that individual offer the time they deserve and need and work with people? I mean, you could, if you want to work maybe 100-hour weeks, but then that's not conducive to the success that most people want. They might bring the money, but they also want to live on the beach for four hours and work four mm-hmm. hours a day. So I, I second that. I don't I don't understand how people do it. I don't think it is possible to coach hundreds of people and actually provide the service that those people need. Yeah. I can almost deal though with the coaches who whose priority is finances. Maybe they do use transformation pictures, etc. What really frustrates me, however, is when those same coaches say that they're helping people with their body image or their health that that's what grates on me a little bit because I'm like no stay in your own lane that's not your messaging and better a lot of those people as well which is the really I know they know better and that is obviously they're doing more harm than good in those areas but they're claiming to help people with those things and it can almost create when someone does go through a physical transformation and their confidence improves, they might, the individual might think that their body image has improved, but actually it's not. Mm. And then they might promote that coach until they come out of the other end of it. They have a bad experience out of the other end of the transformation and then they fall off the face of the earth and no one hears about it. (laughs) Yeah. You get a wonderful testimonial with an after picture about how confident they are 12 weeks into the process where are they a year down the line after they've done another three of those maybe you know that's really interesting and that's what you know I, I make a point in talking about the difference between and there's nothing wrong with either as I said people are on varying different points of their journey but what is a delivered product which is essentially macros and you know arguably mass group coaching if you've got thousands of people in a group and you're setting macros for them even if it is just Harrison Benedict that's your your calorie here's your program which you know 100 other people have as well and you get bi-weekly feedback that's essentially that's delivered product i've no problem with that but it is a product and it is delivered in a slightly different way it's not coaching it's not getting to know someone it's not empowering them pulling the best out of them which is a collaborative thing you know built on mutual trust respect and all these other aspects you get to know about them and it's just there is a difference and you know it's still called coaching when it's just a delivered product. And that that's a bit of a peeve of mine. Again, more from people that know better, but choose not to do better. Yeah. If anyone's listening to this who's had a bad experience with a coach, say they wanted to improve their body image, but they've ended up going with a more physique-based coach and it has taken a hit and their relationship with food's taken a hit. And they're also really hesitant to invest in another coach because of the experience they've had. What, exp- what advice would you give to that individual? In terms of like seeking out additional help or just... In terms of being like being willing to seek exit or the additional help, maybe work with a coach that cares, like what should they look for in that, per- in that person? Oh, in that coach. And how can they also be willing to trust someone again? 
Yeah, that's a hugely individual one, isn't it? Because I think when trust is breached, it depends on the person and how far they've been breached. You know, we're talking about people that felt a little bit ripped off, maybe didn't get the results they wanted to people that are left with, you know, eating disorders, essentially. And I know that sounds like a, an extreme, but I'm sure you can attest to speaking people that have been left really worse for wear. So I don't want to say red flags, I think that's an overly used term, but I think if a coach is overly using before and after pictures, if they're overly using themselves and objectifying their own bodies in terms of promotion and the promise of results, if it's distinctly time-framed as well, they're normally distinct indicators that is maybe a, a delivered product. It's how many people they work with, how they talk about the people they work with in terms of care, not just results or how much money they've got, I think is important as well. Um, and, and seeking out people, I think, which are talking about more deeper rooted issues to do with identity and self-leadership and, you know, working with perfectionist ideals and counter to the, the, the I guess, the dominant narrative, the people that can acknowledge there are aspects of health and reasons to exercise outside of just changing your appearance, I think is important as well. But yeah, that element of building trust again, I think it's just most most good coaches, most good credible coaches will be happy to have a conversation with you on the telephone, regardless of a financial commitment, you know, and they won't pressure you. They won't. I heard something. I saw something awful. It's actually a quote verbatim was find their pain and use it against them, which was the advice of a, a mentor quite recently. And the prompting of if they're talking about or they're pushing back against payment, ask them if they've got a credit card. Now in the current climate, I could not consciously in good faith sleep at night or take someone on knowing that I would essentially be putting them in financial debt. But what I will more than comfortably do is have an honest kind of conversation with someone, with someone I truly felt I needed uh, to help or could help in the interim, sort out something financially or, or signpost them to someone I feel could really benefit them within more within their price range. The, no good coach should have any qualms about just getting on the, com- on the phone with you and having an open, honest conversation, which isn't transactional. It's about finding out who you are as an individual, what struggles you've experienced, about your previous experience. It doesn't need to be that you've had a, a really negative experience with a certain coach and they want all the intricate details about that coach's name. Is Regardless, like I've had people come to me about other coaches and I've, I've, I've said, like, I, I don't need to know their name. It's just I just need to hear about what you experienced and potentially what I could offer that would be slightly different and then it's just left as a non-obligatory call or commitment in that this is what I feel would benefit you how comfortably do you feel with that go away sit on that you don't have to get back to me within a certain time frame and I know this is counter to every what mentor is uh, advising out there but I don't you know I don't promote myself as a a business mentor because a lot of that is almost opposite to the business acumen that we didn't get in the early days is it's gone. The pendulum swings gone the other way now. Whereas I'm, I feel like my coaching approach is still very much human centered, not even person centered. It's the individual in front of me, what they've experienced. And essentially is a, is an element of if they've had their, their trust kind of exploited is building trust up again. It is going to take time. And I think any coach taking on that individual will be patient enough to take the time and will understand that, that individual might not be forthcoming with all the changes that you're putting forwards, but it should be a process of refinement anyway. I am much prefer being a fan of one or two things someone can really now set them up for a win, guaranteed win every week, even if something less tangible, and then refine the process. 
rather than overwhelming them with 20 different things because if they have been exploited in the past is it's going to be too much it's going yeah. to be too much to adhere to and it's going to frighten them off if, if they've been burnt so yeah the long <laughs> the shorter answer would be i think any good coach worth their weight in gold will just have a conversation with you regardless of whether you're committing to working with them regardless of whether you paid them in advance to see if they can truly help you and they'll be honest in that i will have conversations with people say i don't think i'm the support you need right now i will happily refer people on and i think that supports the industry as a whole that's not just something i distinctly believe i think you know more of us could it comes from a good place we want to help as many people as possible but sometimes we're not the right help for that person same as somebody comes to me for a prep now you know, it's not my job to talk them out of a prep, but I do know some coaches that would better take care of them, to my knowledge. I have an understanding of how they work is I might encourage them to touch base with that person, but I wouldn't just take them on. And I wouldn't just send them on their way equally because there is the worst kind down there as well. I'm exactly the same. Like, I'm always happy to have a conversation with people and there's no strings attached. And um, I think everyone should really I know not everyone does but I think everybody should um but no it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you Dan it's been oh yeah always I don't even know what the time is I've just enjoyed our chat no it's absolutely flown um but have you got any last things you'd like to add or bits of wisdom for anyone listening to this wisdom I think the best coaches out there are better at communicating with you in terms of formalizing your own thought processes around things through self-realization, through introspections, rather than telling you what to think. So they're more interested in teaching you how to think for yourself and that being aligning, aligned with what your true wants and needs are than telling you, I think. Because I think naturally within the job role is people come to us for answers all the time. Essentially, you have the answer themselves. A good coach will help you pull the answers out of yourself because you shouldn't have to rely on them forever. Yeah, I love that. And if anyone's listening to this and they want to have a, a look at your sort of resources, they want to reach out to you, where's the best place they can find you? Best place is probably Instagram. That's where most of my content is, at the.dan.osman. Questionable name. Should have thought about that because it's not that catchy. I have my own podcast. The Dan Osman's Ramblings of a Madman, self-stigmatizing, but that's okay. I've had some wonderful guests like yourself on. Uh, I have a blog. I have a newsletter as well, which I, I consistently put stuff out on. So I'm much more of a fan of longer form content. So you may not see me pointing at words on reels or anything like that. But yeah, if you like reading something or listening to someone waffle, you might like some of my stuff. Yeah, love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Pleasure and thank you for those of you listening. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please do like, subscribe, and share that you're listening on your Instagram story. Tag myself and Dan, we'd love to hear from you, and I'll see you in the next one.